And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. graduation ceremony for Northside Christian Academy yesterday and and as I was preparing to to figure out what I was going to say to our graduates yesterday it dawned on me that these graduates have already experienced three pivotal events in their life they were born into 9-11 that event when those iconic World Trade Centers, those two towers came crashing down when the airplanes went into them because of a terrorist attack. They were beginning elementary school during what many say was the worst economic disaster in the history of our nation. And then you're graduating during the year of the COVID virus, a virus that literally has shut down the entire world. I hope you don't have anything planned for college. (laughs) Really don't. But we don't want to focus today on what is in the past. We want to focus on what lies ahead. And I believe the most important thing that we can discover when we talk about what lies ahead is God's will. And I am convinced that every single Christian wants to know God's will. And yet at the same time, I am convinced that most Christians go through their entire life never discovering God's will. Today we're beginning a new series at Northside. We're calling it Transformers. It's based upon Romans 12 through 16. And the reason we're calling it Transformers is because we believe that God transforms us so that then we can go out into our world and transform the world. Now, if you've been following us as we've gone through the book of Romans, you know that Romans 12 is kind of a shift in the book of Romans. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul has been dealing with the theological truths of the Christian life, the why of the Christian life. But in chapter 12, Paul moves to the practical application of the Christian life. He begins to focus on how we are to live out our Christian faith. He begins to tell us how the gospel should change our life. And the very first thing that he deals with is God's will. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And this morning, we're going to focus on two verses, verses 1 and 2. And I want to begin by reading this verse, or these two verses, in several different translations. I want to first of all start with the New American Standard. Listen to what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen to how that verse is translated in the New International Version. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. The New Living Translation, the one that I I do my devotional reading in, the one that I most often teach from here on stage, says it this way. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the, the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, I don't want to give you my translation. And, and it's really a paraphrase. A translation is when you take the text and you translate it word for word. A paraphrase is when you take the text and then you paraphrase that whole text to, to kind of show its meaning. So let me give you my paraphrase of these two verses. Because of God's great mercy, love, and grace that has been poured out on you. I beg you to dedicate every fiber of your being, your heart, your mind, your body to him. This is the least you should do. Don't let this sinful world tempt you to conform to its standard. Instead, make the decision to live different, separate from the world. Let God transform you by changing the way you think, by saturating your mind with his word. When you do this, You will find God's will and discover that God's plan is better than your plan. It is good. It will be enjoyable. And it's a perfect fit for your life. Now notice how Paul begins this section. He begins this section with the word, therefore. And I've shared with you often something that I was taught early on in life. And that is, whenever you see that word, therefore, you need to look back in the text to see what it is there for. And Paul tells us that it is there to let us know about God's mercy, God's great grace, God's undeserved love. You see, Paul makes it clear as he unpacks these first 11 chapters of Romans that you and I are sinners. But I don't think that word really gets our attention too more. We've we've kind of become inoculated to that word sinner. And so what you need to hear Paul saying is that you and I are rebels. We are traitors. We have defiantly turned our back on God. We have removed God from the throne of our life. And we've set ourselves up as the rulers of our life. And God says because of that, we not only deserve death, we deserve to be cast from his presence forever. But God. Paul says, but God, because of his rich mercy, 
continues to love us. Because of his rich grace, he sent his son to take our punishment upon himself. And Paul tells us in these first 11 chapters, if we by faith surrender our lives to Jesus, he will forgive us of our sins and he will make us right with God. You see, that's why Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for our rebellion. Jesus died so that you and I can be made right with God. And Paul is saying that that kind of love that God shows to us should motivate us to live our lives for him. You see, we don't live our life for Christ because we want him to do something for us. We live our life for Christ in light of what he has already done for us. If God never does another thing for us, he has already done enough for us. You see, it's love, it's his love that should compel us to want to live for him. And it's his love that should compel us to want to discover his will. And I don't want you to miss this. You see, these first two verses, they're all about God's will. As Paul concludes verse 2, he makes it clear that what he is saying will help us prove or discern or discover God's will. Now, I, I don't want to make this about a checklist. Because that's what a lot, of, a lot of churches do and that's what a lot of Christians do. They believe that the Christian life is all about a checklist. If I check this off, then everything will be great, everything will be good. And I'll, I'll meet all the criteria, all the requirements to have the life God wants me to live. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And yet, as we read these verses, we do see three steps. We see three things that are imperative if we're going to ever discover God's will. So if you want to know God's will, you got to do three things. The first thing is this, consecration. You've got to begin with consecration. Now, I use that word intentionally. I know that word isn't used very often, but the word dedication isn't strong enough. The word commitment isn't strong enough. The only word that will fit here is consecration. The word consecration means that we are setting ourselves apart for God to use. When something is consecrated, it is saying that that has been given to God and it's for God to use however he wants. The Apostle Paul says it this way, we are to offer our bodies living sacrifices. Now, you and I in our world today, we don't know a lot about sacrifices because we don't offer sacrifices today. But in Paul's day, sacrifice was a big deal. The Jews offered sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem every day. The cities that Paul went to and preached the gospel in and established churches in, there were pagans in each of those cities that would offer sacrifices to pagan gods each and every day. And there was one thing about a sacrifice you needed to know. When you offered a sacrifice, it was dead. The sacrifice was put to death. You see, there was no such thing as a living sacrifice. Yet Paul says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That phrase, living sacrifice, is an oxymoron. An oxymoron is a figure of speech that uses two words that contradict one another. And living 
and sacrifice contradict one another. And yet God says that is exactly what we are to do. You see, we are to sacrifice our everything to God. We are to give up all to Him. We are to give up possession of our life. We are to give up ownership of our life to Him. In the Old Testament, there was no such thing as a partial sacrifice. You wouldn't go to the, to the temple and, and take your lamb and cut off the lamb's leg and say, here's my sacrifice. You didn't do that. When you took the lamb as a sacrifice, the lamb's neck was broken. His neck was cut in two. The blood spilled out all over the altar, all over the people. It was a gruesome thing because a sacrifice was dead. And yet God, the Bible says that you and I are to be living sacrifices. We're not to kill ourselves. We are to continue living. And yet we are to live recognizing that we are not on, no longer the owners of our lives. We, not only, we no longer possess our life. Our life belongs to God. But here's the problem. Living sacrifices have a tendency to want to get up and walk off the altar. I mean, we don't want to be sacrificed. And so that's why we have to daily Surrender ourselves back to God. Now notice what he says here. He says, offering yourself as a living sacrifice is your reasonable act of worship. That word reasonable, it's the Greek word logikos. It's the word that we get our word logical from. In other words, what Paul is saying here is in light of what Christ has done for you, the only logical thing that you can do is give your entire life, your entire being, your heart, your body, your mind, your soul to him. Nothing else makes sense. In light of how much he's loved you and how much he's sacrificed for you, the only logical thing to do is to give your all to him. And so let me ask you a question. Have you given your all to Jesus? Have you given your career to Jesus? Have you given your relationships to Jesus? Have you given every other area of your life to Jesus? Or are there pockets of your life that you're holding on to, you're holding back? I want you to listen. The Apostle Paul seems to indicate that if I want to discover God's will, it begins by laying it all on the table, giving it all to him. I'm giving him my hopes. I'm giving him my dreams. I'm giving him my desires. I'm giving him everything and saying it's yours. What do you want me to do? Consecration. But there's a second step. And the second step is separation. Paul says it this way. He says, don't conform to the pattern. Don't conform to the standard of the world. Now that word conform means to copy, to be like, to, to mimic the behavior of. Paul is saying to those of us who are followers of Jesus that we are to be different than the world. We're not to be like the world. We're to stand out from the world. Do you know what a chameleon is? A chameleon is a little lizard that has the ability to change its color to blend in with its environment. And so if a chameleon is on green grass, its color becomes green 
so that it blends in with its environment. If it's on a brown limb, it becomes brown so that it will blend in with this environment. And I'm afraid that many of us today who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves Christ followers, are spiritual chameleons. We are trying to blend in with the world around us. When God's Word tells us that we are to stand out and be different than the world. So ask yourself, are you different? Or are you the same? What about your talk? Your speech? Is it different? Or is it like everyone else you know? What about your relationships? How you pursue your relationships? What you do in your relationships? Are they different than the people in the world? What about the things that you are pursuing, the things that you long for? Are they different than the world? Or are you pursuing the exact same thing that your morally good but lost neighbors are experiencing and pursuing? You see, we're called to be different. I want you to listen. You're never going to discover God's word, God's will, when you're conforming to this world. Consecration. You've got to offer yourself a living sacrifice. Give your all to God. Separation. You've got to step out of the world and be different than the world. But there's a third thing Paul says here. And that is transformation. We've got to let God do a work in our life. And he tells us that that happens when we renew our mind. Now, the Greek word that he uses here for transform is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the word we get our word uh, metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis is what is used to describe a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. It is completely being changed from the inside out. That's what metamorphosis is. It's a change that occurs on the inside that results in an outward change. I want you to look at this video about the metamorphosis that takes place with the caterpillar. Hormones signal the caterpillar to attach itself to a leaf or twig and shed its exoskeleton one last time. The new layer of skin hardens, forming a protective shell called a chrysalis. Inside, the caterpillar isn't just swapping clothes. All the cells that are in that caterpillar change. Those cells metamorph. They change from caterpillar cells to butterfly cells, ultimately changing the whole organism from this worm-like caterpillar into a butterfly. Finally, after about three weeks, the new butterfly emerges. And I don't want you to miss something that was said in that video. Every cell in that caterpillar is changing from a caterpillar cell to a butterfly cell. Did you get that? That's no longer a caterpillar dressed like a butterfly. That is a totally different animal. Its cells have changed. And the Bible says when you and I come to Christ, we are morphed, 
we are changed. We are made new people. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians. He said, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. When you give your life to Jesus, listen to me. Your physical cells don't change. Your physical DNA doesn't change. But spiritually, you are made a brand new person. The Christian life isn't about striving. It's not about trying. It's about being transformed. It's about being morphed into a brand new person by the power of God. And that's what happens when we're saved. But the Bible also says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. You see, the transformation isn't just to happen when we're saved. It's to continue as we are saved. We're to continue to be transformed as we renew our mind, the things that we think about. Now, now let me give you a clue. You don't get your worldview from CNN, from MSNBC, from Fox News. You don't get your worldview from, from the USA Today, from the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. You don't get your worldview from Hollywood or from Washington. You get your worldview from the Bible, God's Word. If we really do believe that God's Word is a timeless book and it is a perfect book, then that's where we get our decision-making ability from. That's where we find the knowledge. That's where we find the resources to make decisions for living. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, if you want to know God's will, it begins with cons consecration. You've got to offer yourself a living sacrifice to God. It moves to separation. You make that willful commitment to step out of the world and be different than the world. And then there's transformation. The transformation that God does in your life when he saves you and makes you a new person. And the transformation that occurs each and every day as you allow the word of God to renew and change the way you think. But why? Why should we pursue? Why should we seek out God's will? Well, Paul gives us three reasons here. First of all, he says it's good. God's will will never take us down a road that is bad for us. God's will will never lead us to do bad things. God's will is always good for us. It's good for our family. It's good for those around us. God's will is good. But God's will is not only good, God's will is pleasing. God's will is satisfying. I believe the reason that most people don't pursue God's will is because they have this false idea that if I pursue God's will, it will keep me from experiencing the happiness that I long for. But what you need to understand is that it is only in discovering God's will that you will ever find the happiness that you are looking for. Think about it like this. If the Bible is true, God created you. And if the Bible is true, it says that God created you specifically for a purpose. David said it this way. God knit you. God formed you in your mother's womb. 
Jeremiah went a step further. Jeremiah said, before God formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you and he already had a plan for you. Did you get that? Before you were ever even a thought in your mother and father's mind, God already had a plan for your life. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that you know better what will make you happy than the one who created you? The one who gave you the gifts, the talents, and the abilities you have? I mean, he made you, he formed you, he fashioned you for a purpose. And he fashioned you that way so that you could enjoy life. And it is only when you discover his perfect will that you're going to find that good and that pleasing, enjoyable will. Paul says it's not only good, it's not only pleasing, enjoyable. He says it's perfect. God has a perfect plan for you. That word perfect is the, it's the Greek word teleos, which, which literally means complete. God's plan for you will make you complete. I'm convinced that that there are even Christians, people that love Jesus, people that believe his word, who haven't discovered his will, that are walking around, that are sitting in this service with an emptiness in their life. There's still this hole. There's this vacuum. Something missing. There's a longing for something. And what the Bible says is when we discover God's will, that hole will be filled. We will be complete. We will no longer be searching for that something to fill the void. We will have found that something that will fill the void. So what about it? Are you willing to do what it takes? To discover God's will. Because it's only in God's will that you're going to find happiness. It's only in God's will that you will find peace. It's only in God's will that you're going to find fulfillment. That's the only, only way. Now there's one thing I know. I don't know God's specific will for your life. I don't know that. Some of our graduates said they want to go into politics. We need somebody in politics, my word. Law, some are going into nursing, some are going into a lot of different things, military, a lot of things. I I don't know God's specific will, and I couldn't dare stand up here and say, this is what God wants you to do with your life. But I can tell you this, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's will is that you have a relationship with him. I can tell you that on the authority of God's word. The Bible says, God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. The Bible says this is God's will for you, that you know him, you love him. And so if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God that can only be found through Jesus, I can tell you that's step one for you in discovering God's will. So would you bow your head with me? Would you close your eyes? With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, for those who are sitting here, those who are watching online, if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, never discovered what it is to find fulfillment in Christ, then I want to 
beg you this morning to pray this prayer with a humble heart. Dear God, I humbly come to you this morning acknowledging my sin, my rebellion. I've lived life my way. I've set myself up as the ruler of my life. I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. Today, I'm trusting you, Jesus, to save me. Forgive my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Amen.